Hello, welcome to Sonic Talk, episode three, uh, no, 433. I lost 100, year, 100 episodes there. That would be very remiss of me. Uh, 433 recording today, Wednesday, the 13th of January. This is the last show before NAM because obviously NAM is next week and I will be unable to broadcast from Nam. Uh, I also want to say thank you to our show sponsors. Obviously, Isotope are sponsoring the show. Uh, you can find out how to win a copy of Ozone 7. And also, uh, thank you very much to UVI, whose Falcon Creative Hybrid instrument is currently available. So, here we are. It's that time of year. It's Nam time. It must be Nam time because I'm getting no sleep and. Uh, and uh, there are lots of minor irritating things worrying me, which is what tends to happen at this time of year. But interestingly, usually Christmas is rather a washout because I tend to stress out about it. But it's been absolutely fine this year. I had a lovely time. So I think that must be a good omen. So let's introduce some of our guests. Uh, we have, let's say, we have got Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software there in his synth cave, a maker of the fine uh, movie, Bright Sparks. How's that all going, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, amazing feedback. Excellent. Although I do know, you know when people say it's a critical success? Yeah. And you know what the subtext of that is. Uh, so I kind of understand that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I knew that was going to be the case anyway. So, yeah. No, but uh, feedback's been really quite amazing. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. We haven't spoken to you since uh, Christmas New Year. How, how have you been? How's, what's, what's happening in your crazy world of synthesizers? Uh, a few things. No, I had a rubbish Christmas and New Year. Oh. I was just ill. Ill the whole time. Can you believe it? Yeah, it happens it about every three, four years, doesn't it? It's just amazing. Like, literally wiped out. Went out for dinner on something like the 20th. Felt crap. Came back. Got up on something like the 2nd of January going, well, what happened to the last two weeks? Wow. <laughs> Great way to lose weight over Christmas, though, I must say. It happened to me once, and both myself and, uh, and my partner came out of it thinking, wow, we're really, so I'm feeling really ready for a beach holiday now. But anyway, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad, well, I'm, I'm not glad that you had a crap Christmas, but I'm glad you're no longer feeling rubbish. Anyway, thank you very much, Dave. Dave Force, uh, g4software.com, where you can find out about all things G4cian. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll go, we'll go with the numbers. So next up is uh, Mr. Gaz Williams, a uh, bass player, uh, producer, music tech technologist in fact as your music technologist ing quite recently you've just posted that your why you should mix down at 30 bit to 32 bit float and you made the you made the schoolboy error of saying this is the first in a series which now means you absolutely have to do them <laughs> yeah uh, well i've just felt i'm filming a new one today actually so there's a i've got a brilliant one coming so uh, yeah so follow me on youtube and uh, that's uh, youtube it's just Ga gaz williams is your channel so yeah uh, yeah, I've got some really cool things coming along. So, um, yeah, I'm quite excited about this. I'm going to really try and capture a lot of my adventures uh, on the channel this year. I tend to always mean to do that, but this time I'm... You're going to do it. <laughs> You'll do it. Got to do it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much indeed. And it's good, always good to have you aboard. Uh, Gazwilliams.me for all of your things Gazwaldian. Here we go. I'm going to see if I can stretch that to the rest of our guests. Uh, I'm struggling <laughs> to think how I'm going to uh, do that. Anyway, uh, and also we have Mr. Mark Tinley, who today, or should I say, Inspector Tinley. Is that a deer stalker I see before me? Ah, oh, awesome. And I'm learning to read with one of these. Wow. And also, actually, I've been watching lots of Faulty Towers, and I notice in Faulty Towers they always have the microphone just poking into shot. So yes. I, you thought you... <laughs> 
That that there is a poster frame. Just oh, hold that. Can you do that again? Hold wow. it. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like that. So what was that? Is that this. looks like what about this? That is that a directional mic? That's that's like that thing that Gene yeah, Hackman had. Spy. Yeah. Wow. So it's a parabolic microphone, and you can point it at things which are like uh, I don't know, a hundred meters away, and pull the trigger, and and uh, it's got like kind of a viewfinder, and you sort of look through it and find things, and and it's good for recording birds, but it doesn't seem much good at any other frequencies, as far as I was, I can tell. I I was gonna. So about I use it to record dialogue because I'm always fascinated by what people on Glastonbury High Street might be talking <laughs> about. So I was going to hide in the graveyard <laughs> and point it at them and record them and then kind of create this album of snippets of sound. Right, and, uh, and the hat kind of gives it some sort of legal fun, uh, uh, legality, does it? it makes, trust me, I'm an inspector. It's actually all right. <laughs> well, the hat goes with the golden retriever. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, <laughs> so, and the gold, a golden retriever would distract them from the fact that they're being recorded. So, is it, is I, the frequency response of that mic just really crap, sort of two two k to to upwards, or, or is it just kind of a bit weird? Yeah, I mean, it just seems to put like hmm. a, a, an incomprehensible amount of gain on everything. Um, uh, but uh, but it, it just it seems to work for swishing branches and birds. And if you point at any, anyone who's talking, they're just all kind of. Uh, very high frequency, sort of whispery kind of. So is that, is that just down to the quality? Of, of, is that the quality of the capsule or the uh, the size of your parabola? Expensive. Yeah, it wasn't massively expensive, but it's it might be down to the size of the dish. Yeah, um, I've never. I mean, I've got, I, have you been to the science museum? Because they've got this huge dish at one end of a room, and another dish at the other end of a room, and um, and you it's like a whispering gallery. You can go and stand in front of this disc and. Di- dish and whisper and hear the person right at the other end of the room uh over like the sound of people milling about in between it's really interesting so it it works like that it it somehow focuses the sound and bounces it back into the capsule that's interesting i mean that, that I, I did notice that effect when i used to take my daughter swimming a lot there's a curved there's a very a, a curved uh, swimming pool and you could oh, be yeah. you could be like sort of 20 yards that way and she could be you know well not that far perhaps 10 yards and then sort of say hello and she could hear and, and that was that yeah, i absolutely. guess it's the same effect yeah and you could also hear what people were saying about you which was never all that good anyway I mark there's a whispering gallery at wells cathedral as well which is quite good fun a sound sculpture yeah same same kind of effect if i leave that microphone now i'm going to spend the whole podcast doing this aren't i i might have to move it <laughs> well anyway i'm uh, while you think it. about that <laughs> thank you for joining us and of course we have mr rich hilton from connecticut there where he uh, mans the controls of the studio for nar rogers and is out on a disco mission with chic as keyboard player how are you rich i'm good thank you very much Excellent. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. Right. Well, this week, obviously, it's uh, well, we sort of had a little go at Nam stuff last week, uh, and uh, and obviously being even closer to Nam, we're not, we're, we're even closer. But obviously, the, the 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 big big news, and it's sad news, but in some ways, it, it's curious because it's be. I found it really sad, but I also found it really uplifting at the same time because I've been rediscovering loads and loads of music, and my head has been filled with, of course, David Bowie melodies, and it's made me realise what an awesome 
songsmith and melodic kind of genius he was um i wasn't really that into a lot of stuff obviously he passed away uh at the beginning of the week and it's just kind of seems to have been sent the world into turmoil it's interesting because the whole strata of broadcasters and people who are in media like me if you're a certain age it's been the soundtrack of much of your life you know so it actually has this real resonance much more so than i've ever noticed before and it's really quite um I d- but I didn't find it sad in a weird way because it, it, it just made me kind of re- rediscover and re-enjoy a lot of the Bowie stuff. I mean, I don't know. Dave, you're, uh, you're, you're of a certain age. I won't say how old, but uh, presumably Bowie's been around, you know, through much of your kind of formative years and, you know, ongoing, I guess. Sad news, though, but uh, what a genius, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think Space Oddity was one of the first records I bought, you know, when that first came out. That was about 69, wasn't it? Mm. And obviously that's pretty iconic because of the Tron and the real strings. Weirdly, Visconti used to live in the village that I grew up in because he was married to Mary Hopkin, bizarrely enough, for a while. And uh, then obviously when we met Wakeman years later, he was telling us about the kind of real genius of Visconti on that particular track was adding real strings to the Mellotron strings. And he said it was at that point that it kind of really came together. Because for me, that section, I don't know, it's a bit of a goosebump moment. But I don't know, yeah, a man of a certain age. And dude, I was, I don't know, I don't even know whether I'm going to be able to listen to Heroes again without welling up, to be honest. Yeah. Was, uh, was that the album really, for you? Was that the kind of, the, the, the one? That was kind of, you know, they were my teenage years and me and my mates thought we were heroes. So for me, it's really iconic, and that guitar line, and obviously Brian stuff. See, I'm getting a bit emotional now. Yeah, it is. It is it's weird. Yeah, it is. Weird. I, so, one, one thing that I did uh, notice was when I went back and I was listening because I, I wasn't really kind of into Bowie at that time. I mean, I think I probably discovered. I was aware of it, but I didn't have any albums. I think the first stuff I got was Let's Dance, which was the kind of beginning of the EMI years. Which for many people, probably early Bowie fans sort of are where it started to kind of change and become a very different kind of Bowie. But it, it's really interesting. It's so many things mean so many things to different people. Um, but the Bowie yeah. snare was obviously that amazing thing that, you know, happened later on in my life when I was, do, you know, working at Genetic with Martin Russian and he was sampling that Bowie snare, which obviously we know was created by... Mr. Bowie and Mr. Rogers, which I'm so actually I'm on this podcast today because I want to hear what Rich has to say. <laughs> well, but well, that was a kind of really iconic moment because, you know, he sampled that and he used that on a lot of stuff with the associates. And there was always this moment where I think I've said a million times before where bands came into the studio and they you'd start going through the snare drums on the synclavier and by the time they'd heard the kind of 20th one, they'd forgotten what the one was like yeah. at the beginning. And then somebody would come in and go, what about the Bowie snare, Martin? And, oh, the Bowie snare. And that was it, you know. So, yeah, it was a very, I don't know, what a weird week. Yeah, no, definitely. I know, Gaz, I'm, 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 I'm kind of guessing it probably, you know, forms quite a lot of your musical backdrop and, uh, through your life as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, gosh, yeah. I mean, the day after he died, actually, uh, I just, I just spontaneously burst out, burst into tears. I, I was watching uh, Rick Wakeman just playing the piano part of Life on Mars, and it just, it's, it just, I don't know, it just hit home just via that, um, via the medium of music, yeah. Yeah, just just whoa, you know, just amazing. The the likes of which we've never seen. And I was kind of thinking a lot about 
could we ever have anybody like him again? And I very much doubt it, you know. Um, but something I took part in just a couple of weeks before Christmas was a, 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 a tribute night to, to David Bowie in, um, in the Trinity in Bristol, which is a big venue. Um, and, uh, and basically it was the Fantasy Orchestra. That's a Bristol-based um, kind of community orchestra, really, that I, that I perform with. Um, it was playing the music of David Bowie and, and the place was absolutely rammed to the rafters and um, I I saw people being turned away who couldn't get in who'd come fully dressed with all the makeup and everything all, all walking away sort of really upset they couldn't get in and inside I was just amazed by just how many people had turned up in 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 fact in, in, in in the fancy dress of, well, in the style of David Bowie, but in all these different... All the different uh, yeah, guises. Gui guises. But also, I think the thing that was fantastic was just seeing just how many different... How, the age spread of people there, you know, there was a lot of young people there who... Uh, and during the show, people singing along with knowing all the words. And, and it wasn't people of a certain age. It really was a lot of young people there as well. So the thing that was striking me there was just about how he, his music was still so relevant to such a lot of people. And um, <laughs> there was a, a little bit of a funny story that I should tag on. I, I, I was lucky enough to do the uh, the finale, which was singing Let's Dance, um, and which was a lot of fun. But just before I was about to go on stage, I noticed that my, my fly had bust on my trousers. And it was like, oh, no, because <laughs> the stage was reasonably high. So, you know, eye level to my crotch for everyone in the venue. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was thinking, oh, no, how am I going to get out of this? And then I, I had what I thought was a, a, um, a, a brainwave. But people have subsequently told me it's the opposite of a brainwave. Um, and just before the song was going, I said, this next song's so sexy, the fly's coming down. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I'm going to beat him to it. Right. Stop anyone uh, Stop anyone. Stop, stop anyone not noticing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, that sounds yeah, like but, a good night. But yeah, um, I don't know, Mark, I, I'm guessing that pr there's probably quite a lot of... Uh, sort of touch points for you in what Bowie's been doing over the many because there's been so many sort of reinventions and so many different different things but I, I mean above it all that's quite interesting it's it's just it, the melody and the, the the musicality of what he did and the slight sort of the unusualness as well it was never kind of normal if you know what I mean it had a, it always had a twist um definitely I mean Oh, man. I mean, the first song I remember of David Bowie's was Laughing Gnome when I was yeah. like a little tiny kid. And uh, was it Ed Stewart used to play it on Junior Choice at the weekend. And I used to listen to that show on Saturday mornings. But then the next thing was uh, Gene Genie, which was just extraordinary. Um, That's a great stomp, isn't it? I just love that oh, that riff. And, and uh, it reminds me of... of uh, discovering cassette recorders because a friend of mine, Roger, had this Sony cassette recorder uh, and we used to record and I had a cassette recorder but it wasn't as cool as his because it wasn't a Sony but we used to record off the TV with a microphone and we'd watch Top of the Pops and just record all these different things and I just kind of remember just like rocking out with like plastic I don't know, tennis rackets or something to like um to Gene Genie on his tape recorder in his bedroom when we were about six or seven years old, oh, or maybe awesome. eight. 
some you know like kind of young but anyway um and i i uh, i used to steal nail varnish from woolworths <laughs> when i was i was a little kid like i think you're safe woolworths is now shut so there's not going to be any you don't need to pay for this you could just go in the shop it's okay you just take it you don't have to pay and I was so bloody gullible, I actually believed this this friend of mine who told me that. So I used to go and steal nail varnish. I'd paint my fingernails, and then I um, sprayed my shoes silver. Wow. <laughs> and had these massive flared trousers, and I kind of added this extra bit into these flares. I'm not sure flares was Bowie, actually. You know, it must have been. Well, yeah. they were baggies, so, I think. But I, th- I just, I mean, I've been reading this link you sent, and, and the idea that he's known that he's dying for 18 months and then he's made this album and then i watched i did see the uh, the video for this like at the end of last year because i think um someone posted it on twitter and i watched it and thought wow that's really kind of extraordinary but that whole um i don't know it's just there's, some, I, I know, there's, there's one other thing i want to say from the gene does anybody remember and I just want to throw this out to everyone because I've been trying to find... I spent the whole of the weekend trying to find a video of Bowie's and then uh, Gina told me on Monday he died. So it was just kind of like, what? what? Um, in one of his early videos, he's filming a girl and I think he's using like a really early video camera and I've worked out, I think, that it's an InstaVision video camera which was made by Ampex. And he films this blonde girl, he follows her around, he follows her around this monument thing, and then they get into a sports car, which is like maybe from memory, like an uh, an Alfa Romeo or something. And he takes the uh, cartridge out of this video camera and he puts it into something in the uh, where the gear lever is in the car, in the dashboard of the car. And then it comes up on a screen, this girl dancing around this monument. And as they drive away, she's on the screen in the car and i've got like this really strong memory of this video but every time i ask anyone about it they're like no that never what you're talking about how strange um but that was you know the whole idea of music and video going together and being able to make films for songs and all that sort of stuff that was instilled in me by bowie in that film at a very early age i mean and and again all of that stuff the memory of it is visceral it's like kinesthetic it has a feel so every time I hear Gene Genie, it makes me feel a certain way. Or Rebel Rebel to a lesser extent. But that one song, it's just like, whoa, it just does something. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well, thank you, Mark. And, I, and very, you know, he's, he's gone. So he's... Yeah, um, it is, it, 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 that, that part is definitely sad. But what a legacy. I know, Rich, I, I mean, you're one of the uh, fortunate people who's actually worked with the guy. Uh, it, was it Black? Tie White Noise, the album that you worked on, you were, it was Let's Dance. You weren't working with Nile at that point, is that right? That's all right. Yes, that's true. And it's, it's and uh, also there was a, a soundtrack song for a movie called Cool World that we did during the same period that we were working on Black Tie White Noise. I mean, one of the things that's come out. I mean, I've been watching. There's obviously been quite a lot of do- Bowie documentary stuff, and it's it, it's really interesting how much of it is all about the creative process, very little about his private life, which is a really interesting and very a big achievement for someone as famous as he he was. But one of the things that's come up again and again and again is people in creative environments having trouble keeping up with the, his intensity and ideas and the amount of things. And obviously, you were in that situation. Did you find the kind of same? The same issues i mean how, how was it from that point of view 
Well, I would say, to be fair, that it was challenging, but it was this sort of glorious challenge of unexpected twists and turns, and he is completely unconstrained by expectation or by any desire to be appealing, necessarily. Um, he's one of the most unconstrained creative people I've ever seen. And uh, so you never quite knew where it was going to go. And uh, it was always interesting. I could, I could talk for days about David Bowie. He was so nice to me, and it was so incredibly cool to work with him. And things developed and changed, and everything, everything about it was interesting and fun. And uh, he was consummate gentleman so I, and a kind person. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm really curious about something because this little lyric that he's left behind means something to me, and I'm hoping that he was like this. He says, something happened on the day he died. Spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried, I am a black star, I am a black star. Now, the meaning I'm reading into that is that his source of creativity was nothing, as in at the center of a black hole or at the center of a black star, there's just nothing. It's a vacuum. And I think that people who create from ego only create something of a certain value, and it's usually so they can get something themselves. And I believe from watching Bowie that he didn't create from ego. And while it looks egotistical what he's doing, I rather kind of romantically hope that he was one of the people who creates from um, that kind of empty creative space that comes beyond ego. So like athletes go into the zone, that kind of space. But I think uh, some musicians have the ability to just drop into that space and then do extraordinary things. So do you think he was a self-driven or selflessly driven uh, artist that's the question i guess hmm well everything you're saying about that per that fictional person who is selflessly artistic is true i found to be true of him but i can't say as i ever considered him is being either one or the of the uh, or the other of those things before um but he's Endlessly creative, and when I say unconstrained, he doesn't really care what any of us thinks about it. He, by the time I met him, which was 1992, he didn't yeah. feel his only reason for doing it was to satisfy his personal curiosities and compulsions. So to say that that's entirely selfless is not oh, necessarily uh, true for me. But but uh, he had no other reason to be doing recordings except to address himself to certain musical issues or questions or desires that he had that he wanted to work through. The amazing thing was how flexible and cool he was about it all. I mean, you know, a song you've been working on for eight months, all of a sudden you walk in one morning and he's completely changed the front of the thing, you know, <laughs> uh, stuff like that, you know, um, would you would you and, think it's fair to say that there was a lot of just creative instinctiveness? So it's like I know, let's try this and 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 then just do it rather yes. than yeah, right. absolutely. And I would I would I want to stress this because I don't think most people understand this about David Bowie. He kind of envisioned himself as an artist, a postmodern twentieth century artist, or eventually a twenty first century artist, who 
embodied the same kinds of characteristics as the artists he admired from the early part of the century. And I don't necessarily mean musicians, and I don't even primarily mean musicians. He, he's sort of a painter, even in the way he applies himself to music. And um, he had that sort of uh, unencumbered spirit, as did the Dadaists and the, and the Surrealists. And, and uh, I think Niall referred to him in an interview yesterday as, a, as the Picasso of music. Hmm. He had a very painterly and traditionally artistic way about him that wow. sort of ran the way he was. And so he wasn't, he, he, he's, he's seizing, he's hearing in colors too. He, he's very impressionistic in his application. And I just, it was endlessly interesting to see what he would come up with next. It would just never stopped being interesting. It, it was always fun. He was always gracious. Oh, that's fascinating. And listening to him oh. sing, listening to him sing lead vocals while you're playing a basic track is one of the most awesome experiences of my lifetime. Wow. <laughs> Dave, no, I was just interested how long that album took, because I, I, I heard Niall say that was it uh, Let's Dance took something like it was an absurdly short period of time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like they did Let's Dance in less than three weeks. Jesus, um, what well, the album? No, this, al this album took a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe wow. I don't know. Somebody told me a year and a half. I don't think it was that long. It was a while. I mean, and I'm talking about every day. In small uh, one thing, one thing I'm, one thing I was curious you? about too was the the notion of you know because uh, Bowie came from a, a up through the sort of traditional kind of almost like Abbey Road kind of producer artist kind of uh, route, almost sort of the BBC School of Engineering and you know, that side of things and. Uh, was he involved in all levels? So, I mean, it was like, okay, he plays the song, arranges the song, does all the musical side of it, but in terms of mix and production, was that also something that he was kind of very much sitting in on and, and, and having input to? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a song that basically starts in one channel, <laughs> like the entire song, and, and, and through its length begins to fill out a stereo space. I mean, things like that. There he was involved very deeply in pretty much every aspect of what he wanted to do. He was, and, and his work ethic was remarkable because he's a guy who gets up basically at five in the morning every day. So he would be kind to us who lived out of town and call the session for 10 a.m. But when I arrived at 8.30, he's already in the room pacing and thinking about what he wants to do next and, and smoking cigarettes. And he was just completely motivated and driven and clear-headed just on it as uh he was very much a recovering alcoholic i mean he'd been a recovering alcoholic for a really long time by then but he still was proud of that aspect of his life and like a lot of those guys became a morning person and uh so we would work this ridiculously civilized schedule of uh you know he'd call it for 10 we'd try to get there early knowing that he's already been there for two hours and, you know, feeling horrible about making David Bowie wait. <laughs> and then uh, and then we'd work until, I don't know, five or six o'clock at night. And Bowie would get tired and say goodnight. And Niall would be there and we'd hang out and work on it some more. And then uh, we'd go home early. I mean, it wasn't, it was a remarkably wow. civilized working. Wow. That's really interesting. It, it's, I mean, I think the thing, I, I, I wrote a little kind of piece about it, which wasn't really more, it wasn't like intended to be kind of any sort of obituary or anything like that. It was more just a kind of this, because some, some of these amazing points in the career uh, about 
the fact that, you know, the, the relationship with Mick Ronson, who I think Mick Ronson is one of the most talented he was involved. Was Mick Ronson involved in Black Tie? I did read some notes the earlier. Very last, the last thing I'm sure it was the last thing because he was really sick. Uh, Mick Ronson did was come to the studio and play on one song on Black Tie White oh, Noise. Did you record it? Were you? I was not the engineer on Black Tie White Noise. I was. I didn't engineer a lick on Black Tie ah. White Noise. I played keyboards, uh, ran sync claviers, did all kinds of technical and musical work were you there when he played mick ronson when, when mick ronson played i just yes, curious oh, wow i was there when he played and uh and and had had the a conversation all morning with david about mick's coming and what it meant to him and why it was so important because mick was very very fully involved in cancer at that point mick mick was considered to be terminally ill and bowie of course had a tremendous um love for the guy and there was a lot of sentimental conversation that morning about their past history and how much this meant to david to have mick come in and do this in his weakened condition right and um it was for me it was very profound because i first met david bowie he didn't meet me yet when i was 14 years old and i used to hang out with these older girls 17 and 18 and the current album was either the man who sold the world or hunky dory and I remember wow. Spiders from Mars coming out. And it, it all impacted me enormously hearing all of that music. And I was already an enormously interested and dedicated fan by the time I eventually, who would have thought, met him and then spent, you know, a year working with him side by side. Um, one other slightly selfish piece of trivia is I'm the bass player on about half that album. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, certainly most of the first four or five songs I play bass on. Can it I just worked a, out can I, can I ask a question, uh, Rich? Yeah. Um, I've been reading after, you know, all this stuff with about Bowie and just uh, about how much he would sometimes record an album and record all the parts himself, like as a demo album, and then come and do the... Um, the main album with his other musicians. But I, he was saying, oh, you know, I'd be playing bass. And I was thinking, oh, I'd love to have seen him play bass. Did you see him play bass at all? Like a physical bass guitar? David, I never saw David play bass guitar. There was a really excellent bass guitarist on the session named Barry Campbell, who uh, did great. And uh, in the evolution of the songs, at certain points, other kinds of bass parts became suggested. And, and in some cases, they were replaced um, or supplemented. Right. Um, so that was it. Sort of in that context that I ended up playing playing bass. But wow, it it was really it was an amazing amazing time for me. And at the end of the project, he gave me some really really wonderful gifts that I, of course, cherish to this day. And uh, he also met my son James, uh, who came to the studio one day. And there are some very cool pictures of uh, David and James. Wow, wow, awesome, and, cool dad. Rich, thank you, thank you so much for sharing Amazing. that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I mean, as we know, you know, I mean, there's going to be hopefully there'll be a lot more exposure. I mean, uh, and and bringing up of some of those older tracks, and you know, because there's just there's just such a massive amount of work there, and it's really interesting. I was listening to the the kind of second the instrumental sides of uh, Low and Heroes, and just thinking, wait a minute, 
I'm hearing Human League in there. I'm hearing all of these kind of then later synth, synth acts coming along that would be doing all of this stuff. And, and it was just so massively influential. And I'm just thinking, wow, there's just so much of, you know, his creative output and his ideas was was kind of adopted. You know, he was the first in many cases, you know, with his collaborations with Eno and various. It's just it's astonishing to me anyway. Um, I suppose uh, we should uh, we should probably um, now just uh, take a, a word from our sponsors. So I will just play that. We can all take a moment to compose ourselves. Produce rich, full, professional-sounding tracks with the critically acclaimed mastering tools in Ozone and Ozone Advanced. Now, the latest isotope innovations in Ozone 7 bring modern and vintage processing to the forefront of the music production experience. Updated for Ozone 7, Ozone's highly regarded maximizer features a brand new frequency-specific IRC4 algorithm that delivers transparent mixes with less pumping and distortion. Use it to smooth out an unwieldy mix or tame the kick drum peaks without affecting the vocals. The Dynamic EQ, now in both the advanced and standard versions of Ozone, lives and breathes with your audio, giving you more effective control over your sound without coloring your entire mix. Harness the precision of an equalizer and the musical ballistics of a compressor in one integrated processor. Well, I want to say thank you very much to Isotope for sponsoring the show. If you want to check out Ozone 7, which is let's face it, kind of the de facto mastering and bus processing plugin. Go to isotope.com forward slash ozone. And of course, uh, we do have competitions and winners and all of those things. So let's just bring that on. Uh, last, I want to say hi to Belladonna Took, who's in the chat room. Uh, she phoned up yesterday to say I won. So I had a bit of a chat with her. So hello there. And uh, and we have another winner this week. And the winner this week is somebody called Synapsia, uh, spelt uh, S-Y-A. So S A. S-I-N-A-P-S-Y-A is the winner of last week's, that's uh, Sonic Talk 432 uh, Isotope Ozone 7 competition, and uh, they tweeted the hashtag Supermixes and Ozone 7, so if you get in touch uh, we will endeavour to get the Isotope Ferry to deliver your copy of I ozone 7 and of course you can also win your very own copy of ozone 7 we're doing another mix another competition this week all you have to do is it's a twitter competition you tweet the hashtag the mixmaster that's one word and the hashtag ozone 7 to at sonic state and at isotope inc that's the hashtag the mixmaster all one word the hashtag ozone 7 to at sonic state and at isotope inc and once again we thank isotope for their sponsorship of the show oh i got it out there in the end Thank you very much. Well, of course, you know, we've got, a, there's a lot more stuff to, to, to talk about. Obviously, we've got Nam as well. I mean, we, uh, you're right, Rich, I could listen to you talk about that for hours. Maybe we should uh, we should just like continue on that, Frank, but I, I suspect that many people will be interested in the, the Nam stuff too, uh, and, or, or, or not. We'll see. Um, so, uh, well, here's a video, and let's see whether or not anybody's interested in this.
Well, there we go. That's uh, some kind of Clavia Nord type piano type uh, announcement, uh, which uh, obviously means they're going to be announcing something for NAM. Uh, I was, uh, I must admit, I was quite impressed at the velocity levels and switching in that. It sounded uh, really very piano-like. I know, Rich, actually you are a pianist, so uh, I'm guessing your ears are probably have a greater value than certainly mine. I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, this is conjecture and... Uh, <laughs> We don't know what it is. I'm guessing some kind of new keyboard. But uh, did that sound pretty good to you? I mean, it was very um, seamless, I thought. It did. It sounded really good. And given what I've heard about their piano product, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what it is. Because well, they sure don't tell you much. No. It's one of those classic teasers. We're actually going to go and be seeing them at the... Uh, uh, first thing i think i think actually we might be seeing you on wednesday afternoon so we should have something very ready to go when they say that we can let it go um i don't know uh, dave have you ever played any of the nord stuff because i mean it's it's everywhere the keyboards and the electros and stuff they, they are everywhere and when you see there's lots and lots of performances of really kind of quite tasteful and touch sensitive stuff i mean it, it, it's it, i don't know if the world needs another piano i mean or whether whether it's got anything special about it but it seems like there's an appetite for their stuff right yeah, I checked out the, I don't know what it's called, the Nord Piano, I assume, one of them, after um, PJ talked about it, because he said he was moved almost to tears by, when he tried it, and I thought, I've got to try this. In fact, at the same time... Uh, That's high praise uh, from TJ, PJ. Rick yeah. Smith was... Yeah, and Rick Smith was looking for a piano, and we we'd had these conversations about these these mad Yamaha things that have all these multitude of speakers in that are all... Oh, the Avant-Grand. Quite stunning, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, really quite stunning. So I kind of went from the ground... I went down to Dawson's and kind of went from the ground. In fact, it was really funny because it was like first thing Sunday morning. I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go because there'll be nobody there. And I kind of, you know, had it on quietly. And the guy came up to me and I thought he was going to tell me to shut up, which has been known in, to happen in music stores. And uh, <laughs> Chopsticks said, can get pretty annoying, can't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump on a grand piano. Um, but he came up and he said, uh, that's the nicest thing we've had anyone play in here on a Sunday morning. Anyway, I went from that. That was quite amusing. I went from that over to the Nord and I did like it. And in fact, Rick did get the Nord in the end. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've just bought a, I just bought a plug-in piano. I think it might even be called Romantic Piano or something because it's, it's just got a really nice timbre to it. Ah, so even if, though it's a plug-in, it's it is it's really nice. So yeah, I'm always game for another piano. Yeah, absolutely. I know, Mark. I I guess when you were touring with the Nords around the place, I'm guessing um, Nick Rose probably didn't use much in the way of piano stuff. Although I'm I am making a huge supposition there. If anybody's going to play the piano, it would have been John Jones. Actually, <clears throat> I don't. <laughs> I'm not convinced, Nick. I, you know what? I ought to be really careful what I say here. <laughs> Bite your tongue, boy. <laughs> yes. Would you like me to move on, Mark? <laughs> um, uh, can really? I, I? I mean, I think the piano we we um, uh, we looked at the other week with all the microphones that somebody had recorded beautifully. The aluminium. Oh, the single thing. The I single string one. Amazing. The single string yeah, one. Yeah. This. This. This just sounds a bit like, well, whatever, you know. Like a piano. Uh, and I, I have been looking for piano sounds, and I've been looking at another thing called piano tech, which yeah. is a physically modelled piano. Yes, yeah, I listened to That's the fun. demos of it, and it sounds kind of okay. And that's often. Sorry? 
Do you know what it is, though? Piano tech, in my opinion, uh, is that's that's my own personal standard for pianos, because I've got a lot of different multi-sampled pianos. Here. I don't think it's good enough, though. Oh. oh, no, no. Hang on, Mark. Hang on. Hang, hang on, Mark. So hang on, Mark. So the thing about piano tech, because there's. Hang on. If, if... <laughs> Hold on, you're freezing. Go through a transition somewhere in. Hold on. You're, you've, you've, we've lost you, Mark. Carry on, Gaz. Um, because every single note that is being generated in Pianotech is being generated by that model, there's, I feel I can have a relationship with it that's akin to a little bit like my bass guitar or an analogue synth. It's a really strange thing. With all the other ones that I've got, I still always feel like somehow I'm triggering some sound from somewhere else in layers. Mm. I still feel it. I can't ever separate myself from that. Whereas with piano tech, I feel like as I'm playing it, each of the notes are coming from the moment. And um, I know it sounds a bit weird saying that, but the, what it lacks maybe in realism, it makes up for in that feeling it makes me feel when I, okay. when I play it. So I'd be interested with this Nord to see if that has that. Now, I've got, to also, I've got to also follow this up by I am a dreadful pianist, by the way. So, you know, this is based on my own um, kind of ham fistery. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's the real word. I like but, um, that. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so I don't know that that for my for me, piano tech is is just I'm such a big fan of it. But, um, you know, so if the Nord has more, I don't know, modeling aspects to it, then I'd be interested. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of their stuff is uh, sample based from what I know. I don't know how much you know, usually big, big sort of amounts of ROM in there. But we will find out very soon. Uh, let me see. We've got. Um, so I think that's. a Well, we don't know anything about it yet, but we'll know next week. So stay tuned. Probably about this time next week. Uh, in fact, because it will be uh, Wednesday evening. We might be able to get the video online by then. Who knows? Um, I've got another video. Ah, this is Emu Modular. Don't see many of them. Uh, we did speak briefly about this. This is uh, the news that Dave Rossum is actually. Anyway, that's probably that. That was by Synthfall, which I guess might be. Um, um, uh, Kevin Leitner. Uh, details of the new Rossum Electro Music Interact module. Basically, it looks like uh, one of the original founders, Dave Rossum, is making some modules. It says Eurorack, but that looks very much like large format jacks to me. So I, I'd be interested to see what it is. It's based on the 1100 modular. This is the start one. It's, it's called the Evolution Variable Character Ladder Filter. And that would be kind of interesting if there's going to be a series of modules from Emu. That would be uh, something because it's, I guess the thing is, is because of its rarity and the fact that not many of us are going to know, there's going to be a certain amount of, uh, uh, in, in, uh, not inquisivity, Does that, that's not even a word, is it? But I suppose that uh, inquisitiveness about it rather than, oh, look, let's have it, you know, it's a, it's a Moog emulation or it's a something or other emulation or it's something rebooted. But as far as things rebooting, rebooting a kind of uh, the Emu modular is it's quite a, it's quite a big thing to announce, I think. And, uh, so, and Dave Rosen seems like he's uh, at the uh, controls of that. I know, Dave, you ever put your hands on one? I think Benja's got an EMU modular, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He did a... There's a video of his... Or maybe it was when I was last there. He was using it and it sounded brilliant. I think it's a video. And it sounds it sounded really brilliant. There was one that came up for sale not long ago. We were quite tempted, but it was literally like you had to kind of 
they didn't ship it. You had to go and pick it up somewhere in California. Yeah. Uh, but that went for a very reasonable price. Dave Rossum is is another one of these kind of mega bright sparks, really. He, I mean, what he's been responsible for over the years has been amazing. I mean, it's pretty much down to him, the first polyphonic keyboard. In fact, what's in the Oberheim? That was all down to him. So from my perspective, it's brilliant to see, you know, somebody coming back and kind of reclaiming what was theirs in the past. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, I, I think I asked you, Rich, last week whether you'd ever put hands on an EMU module and you said no. So that I, I won't ask you that question again. So insert a question that you'd like to answer. <laughs> well, um, it's, I agree with everything Dave just said, except the ironic thing is that it's basically a Moog ladder filter. But, yeah, the uh, core. Yeah, <laughs> but but in other words, it is cool that Dave Rossum came back and rebuilt something that was very kind of precious and cool that he had built before. But uh, um, it's part of that whole borrow and steal thing about great good artists do one of them and great artists do the other one of them, and you know it's it's all good though. It's Apparently interesting. It sounds great. Uh, uh, I'd like to. So, sorry, guys. Something something I like though is that I'd never heard of him. But I like it that this day and age, we are starting to hear of these people. And these people, obviously, we'd all heard of Bob Moog for many, many years. But these people like Dave Rossum, I mean, I'd never heard of him before this. So I thought, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting era where people can actually become, you know, known. Um, obviously, Dave Smith and Roger Lynn are all classic examples. But it did actually make me think about how few of the Japanese designers are actually using their name on a product, you know, this, the, it's not and that's part a cool, of culture to do that. Yeah. Mm, maybe it, so. Cultural. It wouldn't be, culturally, that's completely upside down for them because they're, the individual is the least important person in that pyramid and the family is more important. That's why you're William's son and not Gaz when you go to Japan. So, it it runs counter to almost everything I know culturally about Japan to think that individual designers like that would become famous in the same name. way that the Interesting. Western culture. Uh, Interesting. Hi, cool. uh, Mark. <laughs> does this thrill you in any way? I, I mean, I'm guessing because you haven't done the modular thing and, and, and I know that, you know, there's probably not room in your life for that particular uh, ra uh, rabbit hole. Um. Uh, the modular thing doesn't thrill me. The man and his sounds have always thrilled me. I always thought that the uh, the early um, emulator, the emulator one and two, were brilliant. So, uh, and I've always liked the sounds of those. So, if he designed those and created that, um, maybe he'll do something else. Who knows? Well, I imagine it's going to be the beginning. I mean, I don't think you just kind of no, gear this up. So for Eurorack stuff, is anybody? Um, are there any samplers that go in Eurorack? Yes, there are. So could you have? Uh, could I have like a, a, a sort of a one Eurorack unit S nine hundred or S thousand kind of thing? Not that I not key, in yeah, not key grouped based ones. Stuff. Not key group based ones, as far as I know. It's generally a single sample playback, and it's often linked to some form of granular synthesis or just a straight pitch playback, as far as I gather. But that's a good idea. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, that's something that that. Because and um, that's going to go sideways into another if we get to the other topic actually. Uh, it might well. Well, I think there is another topic, and this is the, this is the other thing. There's there's uh, recently Akai uh, posted something uh, along the lines of, "Would anyone like to see this come back?" 
So I'll play a video. This is the. This is. I think this is basically a video of somebody trying to sell an AX73 and demonstrating all the keys work. Um, so it's it's not necessarily the best demonstration of an AX73, <laughs> but there aren't very many out there, to be perfectly honest. And uh, so this is. I, I know she's got a 106 below it. Very similar kind of time. That's the It's a six voice. Single oscillator. Yeah, the Hoover's going. Dave's raving away there. And the question was asked in our in our, uh, our news item: Who wants to? Uh, uh, what was the actual question? Who wants to see the Akai AX since return? And uh, there were a lot of comments in this, and it seemed to generate an awful lot of interest. And the one thing I don't know: Do you remember the AX seventy three? I had an MX seventy three MIDI controller for a long time. The keyboard was terrible on it, but it was one of the things that you could program. I don't recall the AX seventy three ever being thought of as a synthesizer you would buy by choice, <laughs> if I may be so bold. What do you think? <laughs> no, it's really funny, isn't it? I looked at this and, uh, I, yes, I did muck about with one back in the days and I know it's a SEM-based instrument and it's pretty much the same as what was in the six-track, the chip I'm referring to, uh, the SCI six-track and Max and all that kind of stuff, which and they weren't considered to be amazing. Uh, I don't know, the thing that made me laugh, I was just looking at it going, knobs, they're so last century, aren't they? We all want to go back now to wallpapering through a letterbox, if this is true, to edit our sounds, if this is true. But there's so much stuff that's out there that's just like... somebody. I noticed somebody had taken a screen grab of one of Mark Doty's videos on the CS50 and kind of tried to pretend that Yamaha were bringing out a CS80 at NAMM. <laughs> so for me, all this stuff just gets really, really tiresome now. And it's like, I'll believe it. It's that usual phrase, isn't it? Don't tell me about it. Just show me. And yeah. it's released. It's released. So, yes. I, no, I wouldn't be queuing up to buy this. No. I have to say, I'd probably go for a, what was that, Alpha Juno or something well, like I that. Well, I think I some was... AX80 or some of, you know, AX60 were better. They had the knob control and a bit more interesting stuff going on. More more VCOs, I believe. But, uh, yeah, this is, seems to be... A curious thought to me. This, there was this, one thing you could do with this: is you could put the S nine hundred. Oh, it had that funny little port on the back. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I do remember that, uh, and that was quite neat at the time. But no, I was never a big uh, Akai synth fan. Mm. I'm not. I'm not now as well. <laughs> things like the rhythm of. <laughs> Fair enough, Mark. You were talking about uh, linking these two together. Did you ever? Because you were an S nine hundred head. Did you ever? It was the, there was a VX90, wasn't there, which was the rack mount version that you could just run a little kind of, it was like an S-video cable and you could send voices out to to the uh, AX. It's more like cable that connects a Roland guitar synth, I think. Right. So I think it was the same, actually. Maybe like 13-pin. Right. But I do remember, deep in my darkest memories, having this, well, I had it in a rack above my keyboard so it must have been either vx80 or vx90 but i don't remember what the number was and it and i had it plugged into an s950 i think but it might have been an s900 with an expansion board in it and i seem to vaguely remember that i could put the i would because i'd have to load two different things to get the sounds that i was making which is why i like computers because I've had a lifetime of having all these different discs and all these different things 
things that need to be loaded and oh how did i make that sound i made it with a combination of sounds from this and sounds from that and i just love being able to double click and the whole thing comes back and it sounds exactly like it sounded when you were there before well yeah so i sort of remember that i i swapped out this sound making kind of uh uh, you know, synth sampler kind of combination for a K2000, which of course had loads of different ways of filtering things and yeah. you could put more samples in it but and load your S1000 samples, I think. So, yeah. Um, well, that, that makes an awful lot of sense, I, what you're saying there. But yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it was quite uh, groundbreaking, I suppose, having that. Guys, you, you sound like you wanted to come in. Well, it's just that the AX73, every time you go to nice like studios, it was always the one that was leaning up, not on a stand <laughs> against something. <laughs> you know, it, my anytime, <laughs> anytime I've ever experienced them, they've always been the one that's like maybe covered in dust or is the one that's, um, you know. So for this one to come back is one of the most puzzling uh is anyone really excited about it? Didn't they? Anywhere? Did, didn't Akai do uh, a big ad, uh, additive synth, Dave? What was their additive synth? That would have been kind of interesting. Didn't they do an a- additive? No? Okay. No, Kawhi did Ah, Kawhi, okay. Kawhi, right. Yeah, sorry about that. I have a misrepresentation there. But they did do better synths, so maybe maybe this would be the beginning. I mean, because, you know, it just seems like the least interesting. You think this is real? Uh, I don't know if it's real or not. I mean, they just asked the question, so I'm guessing uh, it's possible. I mean, because they did do the, t- the the Timberwolf, which is a four voice, so presumably they got the technology to make multiple analog voices, although that that implementation was rather poor. So, you know, if they're using a framework like this, maybe it'll be, you know, at least better. <laughs> I, I, I'm being careful what I say here. <laughs> I, I, but, yeah. Well, I if liked it. You liked it. Well, that's good then. I, I'm pleased. I had, I had a Juno in that rack as well, alongside the Akai, and I thought the Akai sounded better than the Juno personally. But then I was trying to make everything sound like a TB303 at the time, so uh, maybe its filters are a bit more vicious than the Juno, and it's able to sound more like a TB303, possibly. Right. Well, that's entirely possible, yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Anyway, that's uh, another room. The pro- problem is, I think I alluded to this last week, you know, the, the problem is that tends to happen is, you know, throughout the year, as uh, a publishing, you know, a person who publishes information like this, we have to sign various NDAs, you know, that tend to last a long time. So there are other things out there that I can't talk about that have been rumoured, but I can't say anything about them. So perhaps this is a good point. Anyone, if anyone's seen anything that they would like to mention <laughs> that doesn't actually, but I know nothing about. About Kakahashi's new company. Uh, the, Did you see, no, you see that? No, no. He has a new company called, oh, it's the ATV Corporation, it's called. And there's an electronic drum kit there, which looks very V-drum-like. That sounds quite interesting. A- anyway. ATV Corporation? Uh, ATVcorporation.com. You can have a look at Corporation.com. I'll see if I can bring that up. Well, Gaz, I know Gaz was uh, had his hand up. <laughs> well, I'm just really excited about this rumour of the Waldorf... Uh, Kassettenspieler. Oh, yes, of course. I Which, think... if that is real, that is such a brilliant product. So what that is rumoured to be is the same format box as the Waldorf two-pole, the same format box as the Strikefet and the Rocket, which I've got a couple of those, and they're, they're, it's a brilliant form factor. And what, the, what this thing is rumoured to be is 
a Mellotron in that format. So it's a digital, you know, it's a little digital thing with an analog filter as well. So it's like, oh, you know, I just love the, I love the sound of that. And there's, uh, I think there's a mock-up that's doing the rounds. That, I did. I posted uh, a, a something on Facebook because I don't have an, a, a, an, an NDA. Yeah, well, I guess it, it, it's taped. I'm wondering whether they've got a camera in this room or something like that, because we did the string machine, and then they did that string machine in a box. And obviously, we do <laughs> oh, the trial. Yeah. I've been pulling this room apart to find out. They they It's taken them quite a long time to pick up on the Tron um, innovations that you had, so I, I'm guessing there's some way behind. But I know Gaz is very fond of the Strike Fair, and I, I must admit, I like the idea of this kind of single box that just does something, and, and, and it's... You know, it's dirt cheap, isn't it? The the certainly the uh, string machine. I'm guessing that if this cassette and spielen thing is real, it's going to have to have more RAM in it, so it might well be uh, all ROM. It might be more expensive. Well, there's a there is a kind of ridiculous thing. It says it's got 128 gig. <laughs> you know, and it's like of storage for yeah. samples, and that that they you know, and it's like yeah, I don't think I think that's li- unlikely, don't you? Mm, but... Why is that unlikely? Because it would be really expensive. Why? Uh, because it, I don't know. I mean, because the scale at which... buy a 128 gig USB 3 stick for about 40 quid. Well, there you go. So it, could that... Have that. it could have a USB... If it, yeah, if it was maybe storage you put in yourself and loaded up. But if it's internal, that's still... I mean, there's probably not that much margin on it. Oh, what's that guy's just holding up there? I would have thought USB 3 would be fast enough to play samples... <laughs> An album, uh, an album I'm working on. That is a, a USB. It's just the smallest thing. I'm sure everyone's seen these by now, but that yeah. is a six, 64 gig, and it's about yeah. as small as as it's as it possibly could be. And there's a whole album, you know, project, everything, all the assets on that little thing. <laughs> I hope there's another copy of it somewhere. Yeah. Then I don't. Carefully, doesn't slip <laughs> through your fingers and fall through a gap in the floorboards. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There better be two of them. Well, not just. I mean. USB keys are notoriously unreliable and they go wrong from time to time, don't they? So They sure do. Um, yeah. So do you know anything about this Korg thing? What Korg thing? Who, me? Uh, the four No, are you not allowed to talk I don't know what that? you're talking about. Uh, okay. What's that? That thing that's been leaked, the four voice thing. I don't know. No, I, I, I have no... Uh, but I do know that uh, we'll be at NAM and uh, Korg are one of the people that we are going to see. So I'm hoping, I mean, what I try and do at NAM is go and see, if I can see anybody on Wednesday, I get as much as, I, Wednesday and Thursday, get as much as I possibly can, Friday morning, and then the rest of it, we just cruise, and we can, well, not cruise, but it means we can just wander the floor and find stuff, rather than just going in search of all these things. I try and, so obviously the scoop is the most important thing. Uh, it's definitely uh, something that would be um, interesting if it were true, but I, I can't. I can't comment on any any such any such matters. I've probably said too much, and I've probably blown it anyway. But you know, hey, it is but out I, there. I, the info, there is info out there. Well, you've obviously yeah, there are advertising's seen. out there actually as well. Oh, they've really? Got, That's a bit of already got. It's called. What's it named it. after? Kindy Minogue or something? Is mini it? log? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mini log. That's it. I think what? she's going to endorse it. <laughs> That would Maybe be. She designed it. That, that would be awesome. Now there, there's there's it's a thought. Very small as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Actually, that's a yes. There's there's, there's a fun, there, there there now there is a Bowie uh, and Minogue story connection through me when uh, when back in the days when I was doing pop music uh, for a living, 
we did a track called Rebel Woman, which used the guitar riff from Rebel Rebel. And it was before we signed the album. So we that was one of the demos that we, you know, at the body of work we were trying to get signed with. And we went to, uh, uh, we were, you know, obviously going to clear the sample and all that stuff this time around after the, the nonsense we'd been through before. And uh, we went to uh, EMI and said, you know, what about this? And they said, oh, no, you have to talk to Tony DeFries. So we ended up having to talk to Tony DeFries, who's Bowie's, famously Bowie's kind of manager, the one who put the clause in the contract which said, for the universe in, per- in perpetuity, which was one of the big problems I think Bowie had were trying to get out of, you know, and that's presumably why he signed for EMI to kind of re... Anyway, that's another story. So uh, we ended up um, being sort of held to ransom by Tony DeFries. He said, yes, you can clear the sample, that's fine, but only if you sign to my record label. At which point we're just going, why would we sign <laughs> to this guy who's, you know, is legendarily infamous for, you know, the, the, the kind of business he does, you know. So uh, and we ended up, I didn't go, but two of my musical partners went to New York to meet with Tony and talk it over. And while they were there, uh, Mick Ronson was living in his house. And so they met Mick Ronson and Mick Ronson's daughter and we came back. We didn't sign it. We recreated the sample and it was a flop anyway. So it didn't really matter. But there was all of this stuff. So anyway, that's my uh, however many degrees of separation. Um, that's kind of largely irrelevant. But there you go. But it was all, and that, but then actually the, the, here's, the, here's the link. When we did do the, the track, we, um, we did a swap. We remixed Kylie's Shocked in return for PWL mixing Rebel Woman. So ours was a hit of Kylie's, uh, but the the mix that they did was an absolute flop and ended up costing loads of money in, in sort of wasted <laughs> video fees and stuff and all of that sort of thing. Anyway, I, I don't know what brought that up, but I just wanted to make that link and somehow take us out of this uh, rather scary, uh, very close to the legal wind in other directions. So that was my sort of link to get, uh, get out of jail link. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, nobody so was, nobody was fooled. Nobody was fooled, and probably nobody was interested either. But anyway, the t- time has passed. Now look at the time; it must be nearly time for us to finish up now. But yeah, so that I, I so one one prediction. Okay, last year seemed to be uh, a lot about hardware sequences. Uh, do you think this year is going to be about uh, analog polysynths, or you know what? What do you think this year is going to be? Uh, majoring on, and we'll start with uh, let's start with you, Mark. Have you got any ideas? What do you think this year is going to be big on? Parabolic microphones that work, maybe. I don't know. I surmise. <laughs> uh, in, my, uh, in my wisdom, that uh, this year is going to be big on uh, mistakes that people have made while they're trying to make things, and then they accidentally made this really clever thing that everyone's going to go, oh, my God, why didn't we think of that? That's what's going to happen this year. At least two of those things. That's it. Right. Okay. Thank you very much, Mark. Sorry, my phone was going there. I was trying, I couldn't quite reach it. So I really rather blew that. Okay. Rich, how about you? That's a red bottle of milk. No, it wasn't. It wasn't from my other half this time. <laughs> um, you're asking me to predict trends? Well, uh, you know, just a... It could, God. This year. What do you think? I predict that I'll play 30 gigs with Duran Duran. I don't know. Um... <laughs> You know, opening for Duran Duran. I don't know. Um, I don't. I really don't have my finger on this. That's all right. Quite 
I'm wondering about uh, quantum computing because uh, wasn't there some news recently that it's uh, a lot closer than we all think? So we're going to see another massive leap in so uh, processing power. So Dave, that means that you can just get let your coders go crazy and sod the optimization, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> optimization, guys. Just go mad. <laughs> That'd be good. No, I predict drumsticks this year. It'd be, really? I think Nam's going to be big on drumsticks. <laughs> Actually, that's very funny you should say that, but you're not allowed to carry drumsticks at Nam. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're, if you have drumsticks, you're not allowed to take them in. There used to be that you had to take them with you because if you wanted to hit drums, you had to take your drumsticks because obviously, you know, everybody stealing a pair of drumsticks or walking away with them would be a, a great expense to the drum hall, which is not somewhere I spend any time in, which I'm very, very, very thankful for that we don't <laughs> we don't cover drums. Because there is your prophecy right there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> No so, drumsticks uh, at all. No drumsticks at all, yeah. Air drums. <laughs> well, well, that's entirely possible. Okay, guys, over to you. So I'm hoping, what, what I'm hoping for is to see uh, more mixes and interesting things that will connect multiple channels to the computer, like audio interface and mixers combined, like the uh, Keith McMillan uh Q, oh yeah, Q mix or whatever it is. That's actually released uh, now. Yeah, that's just out now, isn't it? It's taken a year, I think, to yeah. reach market. But um, I'm still not keen on that. But I think um, that idea—that's what I'd like to see. Because I think one wire solution. I've been getting a lot more hardware over the past two years, and I think I'm like many people, you know, buying small, inexpensive but kind of fun devices. But um hitting this kind of uh, thing of I've got lots and lots of channels. I don't actually need a big mixing desk. That would be kind of... But I want like small mixing desk I can, I, that can plug lots of things into. But like the MX-1 was brilliant last year because... The IRA, could, yeah. Could, still got legs that, put, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can plug USB audio and MIDI in. Those kind of things. That's what I want to see because I think that that lots of people are probably going to be in the same boat as me and want to be able to have kind of expect if it's going into a channel that it'll go into a discrete computer channel. You know? Right. So yeah, that audio, audio interface mixer, um, USB host aggregation, all that kind That's of stuff. That's interesting. In. I'll tell you what, it's quite interesting because remember, um, Dave, back in the day when we all had sort of giant MIDI rigs and people were touring, they had lots and lots of kind of racked units. And then at the bottom, they'd have one of those Roland um, MV180 or whatever those mixers were like, the, a 24-channel tiny mixer, which I had little mute. I, I reckon... There's, I mean, because um, Behringer did it sort of nearly with the XR18. If you could imagine just a whole load of line inputs with a bit of DSP on board, but m more importantly, mute switches on the front panel so that you could just kind of reach over and, and mute things. So it's not all done via an iPad or whatever, or you can do both. So taking that a bit further, did you used to have yeah. one of those little mixers, Dave, one of those rack mount mixers? I'm sure I saw one in your room sometime. I've got, I run pretty much everything here on a series of Tascam lm 8 STs, I think they're called LM8, and they're eight-channel stereo mixers. So I've got all the synths go into those, and then they come out into the uh, inputs of the UAD. All right, so that's uh, oh, I've got a picture of one here. So this is uh, right, a similar kind of concept. So I mean, because the thing is, if you if you if you thought about that, you could have you could compact that up a bit. So you have basically. 
maybe for you or to you of that, and it's got a USB or some form of audio interface plus DSP plus, uh, I don't know, what else could it do? It could probably, um, you know, processing. There's all sorts of things it could. It, uh, and maybe a USB, and the whole thing just happens in one place, and you can plug tons and tons of stuff in it, including USB. Yes, massive compact mixers. It could be, yeah. a, it could be a DLNA uh, music server as well and talk to <laughs> yeah, yeah. on Wi-Fi and maybe Bluetooth as well. Let's have oh, it. That's a, that's a great idea. Okay. And <laughs> have a space for drumsticks. Add a space for drumstick. So there we go. Look, there's still a week to go for Nam. If any bright um, manufacturers are out there looking for maybe that that golden product to release uh, next week, if you're quick, you might be able to mock up a cardboard front panel by then. Uh, if you're not quick, we'll probably see it in four or five years. But uh, any- I would be very surprised if there isn't something along the lines of Volker mixer. This time. okay. You know, That'll be I'd interesting. I'd be very surprised if there wasn't something like that. Not necessarily by Korg, but something like that is actually a very small mini jack mixer. That would be useful. In fact, um, that reminds me, I think we're going to go and see iConnectivity, who've got something new again. So that maybe, you know, because their, their concept of aggregation and stuff has been developing. Obviously, they haven't got it always right first time, but maybe they've got something. I mean, I and again, I do not know. Um, I'm not just saying that because I do know. Uh, I, I don't know. I just know that I'm going to go and see him. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we've got um, lots and lots. I mean, prepare for incoming. Usually we do around about 90 to 100 videos at NAMM, so there may well be some stuff of that. When we get back, uh, I'm going to have, I've got a uh, an interview with Eric Persing, who I think I will put on the Wednesday that we come back because I'm not going to be able to do a show and there's obviously no show next week. But I want to thank all my guests uh, for joining us. And Rich, thank you so much for sharing that uh, Bowie information. That was uh, really brilliant. And like I said, we could talk about it for hours, days Mm. even. So yeah, when we meet again. As always, great pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you very much. And I hope you have uh, a great week in the studio and whatever it is that you're working on next. And uh, and, yeah. And all of those good things and of course uh, i want to say thank you very much to mark tinley for joining us as well uh in your dear stalker and your inspector is it uh, inspectory oh uh, yeah that when you turn it to the side it looks like some kind of power tool <laughs> it's like an <laughs> earwax extractor or something yeah. <laughs> i want to thank gaz actually look Ooh. what i, hey! look what I this thing is amazing yeah, it's so loud. What's it called? So loud. I forgot now. It's a mini rig. Mini rig. That's right. Yeah, no, guys. Um, made in Bristol. I, 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 it is made in Bristol. Uh, but I've, I got the sonic port thing for my uh, phone as well, so I can, you know, get line six guitar sounds out of my phone. And I was playing around with this earlier on. And it's just, it's like this tiny. It goes in my pocket. And it's like way, way louder than my uh, practice amp, which needs to be plugged into the mains and. And, you know, oh look, Gaz has accessorized you. He's got is that? Oh, well, I, 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 that's my birthday present. What he's got there? Is that a pair yeah. of them, or is that a sub and a? That's a sub, isn't it? It's it's, it's a sub, yeah. Wow, that so looks. Have, fun. You got all, have you got three of them now? Then you've got all three, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, do that. And you know yeah, what? When, I've when been playing around with the. I've had my laptop plugged into it and I've been playing around with stuff and it makes me choose different sounds than I would normally choose on my big speakers. And then when I play tracks that I've been making using the mini rig back on the big speakers, it's like, whoa, why didn't I choose those sounds before? And it's <laughs> That's just, interesting. I, it, it makes you think about sound in a different way and you pick things to get kind of, 
uh, um, punch and volume and uh, I, and I, and to sort of get the sound across better and, that's and interesting. you mix things differently and it definitely I, improves the sound. I genuinely think that the mini rigs feel like kind of uh, pro audio equipment rather than consumer stuff. You know, they feel built yeah, like solid, like like pro. Uh, and the battery life lasts for like 50 hours, which wow. is just bonkers. That's you great. Just, you know, uh, well, well, I charged my up on Christmas Day and it ran out yesterday. So that's how long it lasts. Wow. I mean, I've been using right. it regularly, like pretty much every day for a couple of hours. So, yeah. Brilliant. It's, well, it's Mark, really cool. thank you really, very much really cool. for joining us and thank you for sharing oh, this. Yeah, sorry with us. Yeah, no, we, oh, we were off nice. again. <laughs> and uh, also, Gaz Williams, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I look forward to uh, working with you after NAM and, um, and all of those good things. And uh, been a pleasure having you aboard as ever. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to say to try and encourage people to go to my YouTube channel because I'm just starting this thing now. Yeah, this is my, do it. My, my new channel. So I'm going to try and pump out loads of stuff on it. What is it? It's just Gaz Williams. <laughs> yeah, go on. What yeah. is it? Yeah, just Gaz Williams on YouTube. And, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have some new channels spring along in the next couple of weeks. But I'm just going to, yeah, I've got a whole load of content coming. Um, Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you, Gaz. And finally, Mr. Dave Spears uh, there in uh, his uh, synth cave. Thank you very much for joining us, Dave. And uh, of course, we don't see you at NAM anymore. We're missing those tequila, Saturday tequila, Marriott Bar pool uh, drinking sessions, which I fully expect to be enjoying next week. In the sun. I do hope so. Although, isn't El Nino oh, kind of first putting pay to all of that? I remember. I remember a couple. Well, at least of years, that's a decent name. Sorry, yeah. A, a couple of years ago, we went there and it just rained really hard the whole time. It was awful, but uh, it, it can't be any worse than it's going to be here. Anyway, no. But at least they have decent names for all their hurricanes and stuff. What have we got? Hurricane Frank and Desmond. What the hell was that all about? I don't know, Desmond. <laughs> Sounds like a slightly effect hurricane. Yeah, blew over a double-decker. <laughs> There's a pun to conjure with. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, remember, no show next week. Thanks again to our sponsors, uh, Isotope. In fact, if you missed it, there's uh, some more details of the competition. If you want to uh, win a chance, uh, enter to win a chance of uh, Ozone 7, the mix mastering. Uh, you want to tweet the hashtag, the mix master, one word, and the hashtag Ozone 7 to at Sonic Steak and at Isotope Inc. And you'll get a couple of weeks uh, to do that because uh, well three weeks in fact because uh, we won't be doing another show until gosh it's going to be sometime in february anyway that's it thank you very much uh that's all for now and uh, we'll fade to black and see you later goodbye <laughs>